It's great to be with you. Um, some some of you I haven't met before. My name's Jeff. Um, and like literally, there's people here that I that I haven't um, seen or met before. It's great to um, see you, and I hope to, to get a chance to meet you soon. But many of you do know me because I've been here for a little while, um, but not for the last six weeks. I have not um, shared a message or been on stage for six weeks, um, which is a long time. Um, supposed to be last week, and I got whacked by COVID. Um, and I did all the hard work on my message and then just handed the ready-made notes to Laura and then she got to preach it. She got to do the fun part. Um, well, I laid in bed and watched um, and she did a great job. Um, and the week before that was just a long planned work trip. Um, but the main reason, as many of you know, um, is uh, my brother passed away. Um, he took his own life in Melbourne uh, just over a month ago. And I just wanted to say thank you for your care for uh, me and for my family. Thank you for your prayers for us. Um, and for my brother's wife and for his four children as they continue on with what life looks like now. Now, I haven't navigated grief like this before, so I don't quite know what to expect. And I know from talking to many of you that um, each of your grief stories are different, and you don't always know what to expect each day either. Uh, and my, my plan is, or my process is, to try and do the work of, of grieving um, in, in my own time or, you know, one-on-one with others. Um, I don't plan to fall apart while I have a microphone, while I'm on a stage, but you never know. Um, we'll see what happens today um, and in the coming weeks. But, but thank you. My family and I greatly appreciate your care for us over the last couple of months. I've already done a lot of talking this morning. Um, I have a shorter message for you today. We're going to gather around Philippians chapter 2. Um, and if you're journaling with us, this is the chapter, all of chapter 2, that you're going to read this week and have a chance to read bit by bit and reflect on. Um, if you wanted to take notes during the message and have that journal ready, there are some um, near each of the tables near the doors and some pens and at the info desk as well. Feel free to jump up now and grab one if you like. And if you jump on our website on the front page, there's a link to a digital journal. Um, you can just copy and paste the questions into whatever you use. That's how I'm journaling, um, is on my phone over the next few weeks. Um, I'm really interested to hear... Um, not what I have to say this morning because I already know what that's going to be, but I'm interested to hear what God says to you this week um, in maybe new or different ways about Philippians chapter 2. So in chapter 2 verse 1, is there any encouragement from belonging to Christ, any comfort from his love, any fellowship together in the spirit? Are your hearts tender and compassionate? These are rhetorical questions. We're not given the answers, but the answers are implied, and we'll see that as we keep reading in a minute. But let me, let me pause for a minute and just put these questions to you as you think about what they mean for you and your own faith in God. And I want to give you a chance to answer, um, not, not calling out loud, but just in the quietness of your own heart. Do you experience any encouragement from belonging to Christ? Because of your relationship with Christ, the fact that you belong to him, does that bring you courage? Does it lift your life and your attitude? Are you reminded during the day who you belong to? Are you encouraged by your relationship to Christ? Is there any comfort from Christ's love? As you think about Jesus who decided to come into the world, who loved the world so much that he came to die so that, that, that no one, so that you wouldn't have to perish eternally, but so that you could have eternal life. Does that overwhelming love bring you comfort? That Jesus is with you and lives within you and, and loves you even now, is that comforting? Is there any fellowship 
together in the Spirit. And, and you know, this isn't just like a, a flippant, light-hearted list that the Apostle Paul wrote to the church in Philippi. It's actually quite technical. It's very profound, the words that he uses in these very brief questions. And we're not quite sure. Does he mean fellowship together with each other as, w- as we all have the Spirit and the Spirit moves between us? Or, or is it fellowship that I have with the Spirit and fellowship that you have with the Spirit? It, it could be either. But is there any fellowship together in the Spirit? You know, we can have fellowship in other things in our life, you know, when we support the same footy team or we both love Taylor Swift's latest album or whatever it is. But, but as, as we each follow Christ, as we each have the spirit, is there, is there fellowship with each other in that way? And then just in, in my own life, similar to that, that comfort, do I experience this connection, this fellowship as the spirit is with me every moment of every day? And then he asks, are your hearts tender and compassionate? As you think about pain in the world, as you think about pain in your family, as you think about a friend who is struggling, is your heart affected by that? Does it make you want to show compassion to them? Now, I'm not looking for a show of hands this morning with these rhetorical questions, but the, the point is, the point of these questions is that if you are a follower of Jesus, then the answer to these questions is yeah, yes, <laughs> yes. <laughs> and that doesn't mean that every moment of every day I feel so encouraged, I'm so comforted, my heart is always tender and compassionate. That's not what it means. But it means that as a follower of Jesus, you do experience those things. Yes, 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 yes. Verse 2, Paul writes, Then, if that's true, if it's all yeses, then make me truly happy by agreeing wholeheartedly with each other loving one another and working together with one mind and purpose. So don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others, but be humble, thinking of others as better than yourselves. Don't, don't look out only for your own interests, but take an interest in others too. Of course. Of course we would. Do, why wouldn't we do that? Of course, we can agree wholeheartedly with each other. Of course, we can love each other. Of course, we can get along and work together in the church with one mind and purpose. Of course, we can. Until we can't. And until it's until it's too hard, because agreeing wholeheartedly and, and, and not being selfish and all those things, that, that all takes work. It takes work working through tough and complicated issues with each other. You know, it, it's it's work to work through conflict so that we can come to a resolution and in unity then agree and and move forward. This is not just about putting aside your thoughts or putting aside your opinions for the sake of agreement. That's not healthy. It's about being willing to work through those things with grace and come to the point of saying, we agree. This, This isn't easy. It takes being really intentional and on purpose with each other and our relationships, it takes us being willing, being willing to face up to issues and say, I, I, I see that this is a problem. I want to name it and call it out, not, not so that I can write you off. I want to name it and call it out so that we can work through it together. This is, this is part of the vision God has called us to. This is, is it's written on the wall. Um, healthy relationships is something that we believe God has called our church community to be committed to. And so what I thought would be really helpful today as we look at this passage and, and we talk about the difficulties in relationships, it'd be really helpful if I could tell you a story about a conflict between two Christians to help illustrate it. But I couldn't think of one. 
But all the Christians that I know are, are, are perfect. Couldn't think of any Christians that have ever had any conflicts with each other. Um, not obviously not true. So I thought, okay, well, maybe I could tell you about a time that I've had an issue with someone else. Um, or I could tell you about a time that I know someone else has had an issue with me. Um, or I could, I could tell you about two people that you don't know about, or I could anonymize it and tell you about an issue that they've had with each other. That would be safe because you don't know them and we can kind of just make it anonymous. Or, or this would be more fun. I could pick two of you that I know are in conflict with each other right now. And we could just unpack it live together. Let me tell you... No, no, no. Eventually, I decided that a story probably actually wouldn't be the most helpful thing. Because no matter what story I picked or what example or which people I I, I picked, it, it could be too easy for us to just externalize it and go, well, that's fine for them, but but it's way more complex for me. And so I just want to invite you to think of your own story, your own live example of two Christians, and you could be one of them, who this passage is, is not currently true of. It's, it's a little painful to read that as you think about this other person or these other people. What the Apostle Paul appeals to here, what he's trying to get out here is, is not, to, not to get along for the sake of each other. And he doesn't even say get along for the sake of Christ. He does that in, in other letters. But what he's doing here, because of those questions at the top, he's appealing to us to get along because of the inner resources that we have. Yes, 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 yes. You have all those things. You have the inner resources you need as a Christian to be able to get along and to agree wholeheartedly. We have, we have the, the, the why and the how because of these intrinsic value and resources as followers of Jesus. And we have some of the detail of how. And Paul, Paul's quite repetitive. If you look at that, the, those two sections there that are brighter on the screen, he just kind of keeps coming back to don't be selfish, be humble, don't be selfish, be humble. It's very similar and basic themes But he must know how much we need to hear this, how often we don't think of others before ourselves, how often we are selfish and and how often we aren't humble. And then, as if all of this wasn't enough and he could move on to something else, he drops the hammer in verse 5. An even bigger reason, our ultimate example in the way that we treat each other. Verse 5 says, you must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. That's the goal. That's, that's the benchmark. That's what you and I need to focus on, not winning. The goal is not tension, conflict, I must win. I must come out looking good. Your goal is to have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had, even if there's no reconciliation. The goal is to have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. And what kind of attitude was that? Well, Paul explains, and he writes what was probably like a song or a hymn or, or maybe like a, a confession of faith written in a way, you know, a certain number of bars per line that you could easily remember it and recall it or sing it about what Jesus' attitude really was. So let's read together from verse 6 to 11. Though Jesus was God, he didn't think of equality with God as something to cling to. But instead, he gave up his divine privileges And he took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. And when he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and he died a criminal's death on a cross. And therefore God elevated him to the place of highest honor 
And he gave him the name above all other names, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue declare that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. The most important thing, the big picture about this song is it's a song about Jesus. Do I elevate Jesus to the place of highest honor in my life and in my world? That's, that's, that's where he belongs. But if you look at this, this, this song in the context of the letter, in the context of this chapter, what it's about is, is about whether I have that same attitude. Because, because remember, Paul said, you must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. You go, well, what attitude was that? Let me sing it for you. This is the kind of attitude that, that Jesus had. And so Jesus didn't cling to his status. When was the last time I chose to not cling to my status? And if Jesus gave up his privileges, when was the last time I gave up a privilege? Jesus took a humble position. When was the last time I chose to take a humble position? And do I humble myself in in obedience to God, even if it leads to my suffering? Even if it leads to me losing? Even if it leads to me looking bad, do I humble myself in obedience to God? And do I trust my elevation? Do I trust my elevation to God rather than trying to elevate myself? There's a a Christian author and podcaster named John Dixon, and he wrote a whole book about the way of Jesus, which is the way of humility. It's called Humilitas, which... I don't know, is that like fancy Latin or something for humility? I can't remember. Here's what he says about humility, though. He he says, humility is the noble choice to forego your status, deploy your resources, or use your influence for the good of others before yourself. This is the way that Jesus walked the earth. Humility in Jesus was characterized by his decision to become a human being. You know, humility characterized the, the, the way he lived and spoke and taught and treated people. And humility even characterized the way he died. And then the Apostle Paul urges the Philippian church and, and, and then by extension would urge us to walk in this same way, to have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. And so if you apply this back to, to what Paul is getting at, and this idea that two people don't always get along and Christians can't always walk together in unity or, or agree wholeheartedly. People who haven't been able to set aside their differences or haven't been able to reconcile, haven't been able to lay down their privileges or, or, or haven't been able to use their power for the good of the other. I wonder if there's anything that the Holy Spirit wants to highlight for you about the attitude of Jesus and your part in that relationship. You, you can't change other people. You can't force them to change and you can't make them have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. That's not, that's not what this is about. It's not about going, well, I have the same attitude that Jesus had, but they don't. And so I'll talk to them about adopting this attitude that Jesus and I share. Um, that's, that's not what it's about. 
As far as it depends on you, do you have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had? Are you walking in his way? Walking in his footsteps? And you know what would be so handy in life, like all of life, this idea of following in Jesus' footsteps, man, it would be so handy if we could physically see Jesus walking in front of us. And, and so we would just know which way he was going. And we go, okay, I'm just going to follow in, in his way. Well, well essentially what, what Paul lays out for us here is the way of Jesus in relationships and, and in conflict. And so you could imagine for yourself that, that in, in a conflict, in a difficult relationship, how would Jesus handle himself in this situation? How would he carry himself? How, how would the humble way of Jesus, what would that look like in this situation? And then would you resolve yourself? Would you decide in advance? If I ever saw a footprint of Jesus in this conflict, in this relationship, if I ever saw a way that seemed like the way of Jesus, a way that seemed humble, if I ever felt like I could see Jesus' footprint in this relationship, I want to resolve myself to placing my foot in his print. To go, this is really difficult, but I can imagine Jesus would, would treat them like this, or Jesus would say something like this. If you ever, in the, the imagination that the Holy Spirit gives you and inspires you to have, if you ever imagine Jesus walking this way in that difficult relationship, and you saw his footprint in the ground, go, I commit myself to placing my foot exactly in his footprint. That's what it means to have the same attitude Christ Jesus had. Are you willing to say, if Jesus walked this way, then in my life, I want to walk this way too? Let's pray together. Jesus, we thank you for your outstanding example that sometimes is, a, is, is quite intimidating because we're like, that's not fair. You're the son of God and I'm not. Um, it, it's, it's, a bit, it's a bit too much to try and think of you as our example. Um, but we thank you for it because it's there. We can see it and, and aspire to it, to walk in your way. But way more than that, you are with us. You give us your spirit to help us walk in your way. So today I ask, in the relationships that we've had in our minds today, if we can see you walking in that relationship in any way, would you help us to place our foot exactly in your footprint? and walk in the way you walked. I ask that in your name. Amen. Just before we sing, um, as I was was praying through this message, I'm like, God, is there anything um, specific, like an, an idea or a picture that might just really hit home for someone today? I'm like, I could could just see in my mind a, a pot plant. And I just wonder, um, I just want to throw this out there for you. If that, if that hits the mark with the relationship that you've been thinking about in the last 10 minutes, if, if there's a pot plant in that story,
Maybe the pot plant is part of the issue. Maybe a pot plant could help bring some peace. So I want to invite you to take that idea and take it to God in prayer. I don't know what it means, but I trust that you will. Thanks, Bianca.